This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever and however you're listening, and welcome back to The Gospel for Life. Uh, Russ is out this week, and so uh, along with Ryan and Jonathan, joining me today is Mr. Brandon Lockridge, uh, an elder at Valley Life Community Church. Good morning, Brandon. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for coming back. Uh, Jonathan, good morning. Good morning there, Vinny. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. Awesome. Great to be in studio with you guys. Uh, It continues to be, as Russ has dubbed it or at least acknowledged that it has been dubbed uh, reformation month and so we're going to continue looking at uh, themes and figures from the reformation Uh, this week we're going to cover five things about five theologians who uh, were either directly connected to the reformation or greatly influenced by it Uh, today we're going to be talking about ulrich zwingli and this comes from an article written by joe carter uh, from crossway in that 10 things you should know series and so, guys, what is, what's one of the first things we should know about Zwingli? Zwingli was um, a Swiss reformer, and he was a contemporary of Martin Luther, born about the same time. Actually came to an understanding of the Reformation concepts apart from Martin Luther. He was uh, influenced uh, in one sense. We actually need to go back. There was a gentleman by, Desid- by the name Desiderius Erasmus, Erasmus uh, uh, popularized the phrase ad fontes, which is back to the sources. Erasmus took people back to uh, the original Greek and Hebrew and uh, was a linguist himself. And as a result, that became a scholarly pursuit to understand what Scripture said apart from tradition. And this was part of Zwingli's method as well. He, He was enthralled with Scripture. I found it interesting, too, that Zwingli actually took that copy of the New Testament from Erasmus, and he would hand copy uh, portions of of Paul's epistle, right? So he had the Desiderius Erasmus copy of the Textus Receptus, and then he would handwrite his own. That's commitment, for sure. One of the things Carter points out is that uh, Spingley was first in time, but not in influence, so we, we... we talk about Martin Luther had a greater influence uh, than Zwingli or perhaps well-known in, in history when we think about it. Uh, but if we look chronologically, Zwingli was actually the first to write and, and first uh, to begin to articulate some of those Reformed themes. And he also wrote, um, in Martin Luther is famous for the 95 theses, yep. and, uh, but he wrote 67. Mm-hmm. And uh, dealing with medieval beliefs, uh, things like forced fasting, clerical celibacy, purgatory, the mass, priestly med- uh, mediation, and um, again, just trying to spark debate on these things. Yeah, it's w- one of the unique things. When you go back to the scripture as the authority, it gives you the freedom to then examine the behavior of the church and find things that 
may not align with what the scripture teaches. And so when you think about forced fasting, certainly there's a spiritual discipline of fasting. Certainly Jesus uh, talked about it and the disciples practiced it, but it's not something that is forced upon a Christian by the scriptures. One of the things I found fascinating, too, was there's a quote in the article where Zwingli actually wrote, Before anyone in the area had ever heard of Luther, I began to preach the gospel of Christ in 1516. I started preaching the gospel before I had even heard Luther's name. And he kind of goes on a little bit. And I don't know if he's a little salty about Luther uh, being, you know, getting all the clout, but uh, it, he definitely wanted to let people know that, hey, I've, I've been doing this for a while. Yeah, I think that what happened principally, this is God at work, and this is uh, God at work not in just in one life, but in several lives. Mm. This is one of the reasons why the Reformation covered all of Europe is because of these different. There were hot spots throughout Europe. There were there was the preparation that of in the providence of God of a man like Erasmus who was directing people to the scriptures. Erasmus himself found himself in between the Catholic Church and Luther, you know, where both sides were blaming him for uh for, you know, his position. Mm. And yet it was through that that, you know, like you mentioned Zwingli reading uh, the in things in the Greek and that he actually memorized great portions of of uh, the New Testament. Uh, mm-hmm. As a result, he was also one of the things that comes out of this uh, study on Zwingli. He was one of those that preached expositorily. He was one of those that you know, uh, rather than uh, preach the various feast days and and fast days and saints and all those things, he began systematically what we call lect. Continua mm-hmm. and preaching one passage after the other, whether it was books of the Bible. He actually preached through all the New Testament, all 66 books, and I don't know how many years, but you know, he, so he would maybe pick a larger pericopes, you know, of scripture, but he preached systematically through each one, drawing out of scripture what uh, was beneficial for his constituents. You know, that was another thing I found fascinating too, was that in, uh, on January 1st of 1519, he started preaching out of the book of Matthew. He started with Matthew 1.1, and he started going through it exegetically. And this was unprecedented at the time, because at that time, you're going and you're listening to the Mass, you know, the Latin Mass, and that's basically it. I mean, people, the, the, the priests did not exegete the Bible, in the way that he was doing it. A lot of them didn't even know how to read the Bible right. in the original languages or even in Latin. Right. Yeah, so if you're in a good Bible-preaching church, you've got uh, Ulrich Zwingli to thank for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how about the fourth thing? What's one of the fourth thing, or the fourth thing? So, so let me recap the, real quick. We've talked about <clears throat> Zwingli was uh, first in time, but not an influence. Uh, that Zwingli had his own uh, theses or uh, statements of argumentation or debate for the church. Uh, number three, Zwingli preached through the books of the Bible. Uh, and how about number four? Well, this is one that's near and dear to this uh particular show because uh Zwingli also believed that you never graduate from the gospel yes the gospel is for all of life and uh it the bible should be applied to every area of life and um direct all that we do well let's talk let's talk more about that when we talk about the the gospels is for all of life or that we never graduate um we, we talk about certainly that the gospel is for salvation but when we talk about the gospel for transformation, what do we what do we mean by that statement? 
Well, he he understood that uh, it would affect how you looked at politics, how you looked mm-hmm. at economic factors or uh, military discussions. You know the different alliances that you might have with uh, other people in the in the world. He realized all those things were going to be governed mm-hmm. by the gospel. You know, he realized and recognized that you know the gospel being something more than just how you were saved, but how you lived. Mm-hmm. He was able to speak about the assurance that we have in salvation, the um, continuation of of Christ uh, working out His life through us, and so the, there were there were a number of ways in which he would address his congregation based on those things. Uh, for instance, you know, he lived in a time when the Swiss were mercenaries, and uh, so they were they were going. You know, perhaps somebody with a great deal of money wanted to raise up an army. They would go to the the Swiss, and they were mercenaries. And he saw uh, many of the uh, finest and brightest young men dying in battle for uh, you know a financial gain, and he spoke out against those things as a not a gospel. This was not a gospel business in one sense. So. Uh, he, that was particularly important to a number of people. You know, for instance, there were times when you know thousands of people were dying on the battlefield, uh, just uh, selling themselves as mercenaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. You know, he was just going to say he. It, it talks here about how he believed that that Christ and the the influence of Christ would transform all of culture, and he wanted to advance the Reformation through civil authority. And this is one of the things about the reformers: many of them truly believed in the victorious the victoriousness of the gospel, right? Not just within the church, but that it would you know cover the earth and and that it would start to change you know, the, the civil authorities. Yeah. Lincoln Duncan has uh, quoted as saying that uh, Zwingli is, is somewhat of a transformationalist in that his, his view and his belief, which is the true biblical belief that the Bible does change us. I mean, we are to be transformed through the word. It is that uh, instrument, the, the sword of the spirit through which the Holy spirit takes his word and he applies it to our life and he changes our lives. So we think about the the gospel for all of life. Um, there's an illustration I used to use as a youth pastor. Is if you guys remember the old game Trivial Pursuit, right? Mm-hmm. So the point of the game is to answer trivia questions based in different categories and fill up this little segmented pie represented by little colored pieces, which represented those categories. Well, for some Christians, that that's how they treat their faith. It, it's part of just a little compartmentalization. It's the thing that they do on Sundays or at their small group, but then the rest of their life is is, is theirs. And uh, as we've discussed. Zwingli would be uh, overtly against that and say, no, that everything about your life, as you guys Mm -hmm. have talked about, is impacted and transformed by Christ's grace upon you. Yeah. Uh, We mentioned the Swiss as mercenaries, which brings me to the last uh, fact about Zwingli and perhaps one of my favorite ones, maybe because I'm a little combative, but uh, (laughs) the fifth fact about Zwingli is that he died in battle. Yeah, which is which is an irony of of history there because he had opposed the practice of using mercenaries in war. He dies in battle in 1531, and this was in part due to a conflict between the Protestants and Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, because the city of Zurich, uh, they went into battle to defend themselves against five invading Catholic cantons. And uh, and Zwingli would go into to bat- battle with the other people from Zurich, and he went there as a field chaplain. But he 
he he was also armed you know chaplains go armed and he went armed he was in armor and everything he was severely wounded the he was found by enemy soldiers wounded uh they they offered him last rites, mm-hmm. to which he refused. <laughs> as a good reformer, yeah, yeah, a good reformer, <laughs> and as a result, uh, you know, because he because he refused last rites, they they killed him, and and then they uh, they chopped him up and uh, disgracefully abused his corpse, burned him, and then mixed his ashes with uh, offal, dung, yeah. and scattered them uh, around yeah. the country. Well, the, in the the article talks about how he, you know he's attempting to force the Catholic cantons to accept the the reform preaching, right? So they would have had another reason, you know, to to hate him because of the fact that he's trying to force this reform preaching. They're going, huh? No, this is not. And and it's interesting because Stephen Nichols calls him a fiery reformer, yep. right? And and so you, we can see this in in his personality just right here, right? He's willing to fight for this reform preaching yeah i'd say i've been in some heated reform discussions but no no one has drawn a weapon against <laughs> yeah, me no. at least not yet it's still early yeah. not not around this table anyway. no, certainly, not around, <laughs> certainly not around this table friendly friendly debate here man so as we think about that, that, that i think it demonstrates the convictions of the reformers right i mean willing to lay their life down mm. for the sacred truths of the scriptures and i think uh zwingli's example calls us at least to that same conviction that we would hold true and faithful to our convictions, perhaps even to the point of shedding our own blood. Uh, any final thoughts, statements about Zwingli before we close up today? Well, we can we can love Zwingli for what he brought to the Reformation in Switzerland. He was actually the father on whom John Calvin sh- stood on his shoulders. Yep. Mm. Well, hey, we hope uh, this episode has whetted your appetite for more church history and history of the Reformation. We'll be revisiting uh, our next theologian tomorrow. For now, God bless you, and thanks for listening.